1: good morning and welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're here. Today is February 9th, and it also is National Pizza Day. National Pizza Day celebrates one of America's all-time favorite foods, whether it is thin crust, Chicago-style, deep dish, or anything in between. Pizza is an American favorite. It's very Americanized. It's supposed to be an Italian dish, allegedly, but we make everything better here in America because we make everything great again here in America. Uh, I hope you get to enjoy some pizza here. And uh, I'm here at Carrie Chevio you can hit me up uh, and feel free to deliver some pizza here to the studio. Uh, I think that'd be pretty great. And joining me uh, to discuss today is the start of the second impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump is Bruce Lavelle. He is a longtime Trump surrogate and friend of the former president. Good morning, Bruce.
2: Yeah, thanks, Carrie. Hey, don't forget the southern style pizza. The jalapenos put on put the jalapenos on the pizza.
1: Ooh, that sounds <laughs> that's the great southern style.
2: Well, and you know, it's,
1: it's snowy and it's cold here in D.C. That's I think that's exactly what I need. You're tempting me. You're tempting me. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, and go. Bust. Yes.
1: Nice. Nice. <laughs> so. All right. So let's get into what's happening here, because here in the Senate today is the first day of the version of the Trump impeachment and McConnell and Schumer have struck a deal on the impeachment trial rules. Mitch McConnell says that the agreement preserves due process and the rights of both sides. Do you agree with this?
2: You know what, Carrie, here we go again. Ding, ding, round two, fake hashtag fake impeachment part two, which we had with part one. You know, I was just on the phone earlier on the way here to, to, to my studio here, and I had a conversation. I have some fellow business colleagues here. And, Carrie, I hate to tell you this, that they're filing Chapter 7. They, they can't make it. And I'm getting all this info, you know, information about other small businesses and other just working-class people trying to get their kids back in school. Some of the schools don't allow them in. Some do. And some single moms trying to make ends meet. And here we have the people who we elected up in D.C., talking about something that we know, even my second year law student that goes to Florida down in Stetson Law School, Carrie, you know, she said, Daddy, I said, honey, look at this right here for me, please. She looked at all her fellow students in her class, second year, Carrie, watch this. They came back to me and said, Dad, there is nothing constitutional that supports that they can impeach this, this uh, quote, former president. I don't know where this is going from. My point being this, we have all of these shenanigans going on right now While we have the American people suffering right now, trying to get their kids back, get their businesses back open. And like I said earlier, I have two that I know are just throwing in the towel, Carrie. They can't make it. They got to file chapter seven, not chapter 11, not 13, but seven means they got to wipe out everything. And they're sitting here with it. This is the thing that disturbs me the most, Carrie.
1: Well, our hearts got to them. That's that's really sad. Um, and hoping the best for them. But I want to ask you about something. There was an essay by Jonathan Turley, who's a law expert as well. You mentioned law experts. And he makes the argument that the Democrat— impeachment manager here is Jamie Raskin. He's from Maryland. And Jonathan Turley says that he made a breathtaking statement. He says that the former law professor Raskin declared that the decision of Trump not to testify in the Senate could be cited or used by House managers as an inference of his guilt, a statement that contradicts not just our constitutional principles but centuries of legal writing. What say you to this congressman who says that, hey, Trump is refusing to testify. That's basically admitting guilt.
2: You don't go testify for something that's not legit. I mean, come on, I, I've, I'm a business guy, I've done, you know, I've hired lawyers to do certain things for me for many years and I, I'm not an expert, but I can tell you, you don't go, you don't go to something that you know, that's not legitimate. And listen, at the end of the day, when you play the entirety of the, from the speech, from beginning to the end, there is absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever in there that indicates that the president's saying, go out there and grab your clubs and storm the Capitol and scale the wall. And, you know, it's, this is the thing. And this gets back to what does the evidence say? What mm-hmm. does it say? What, what was put on the tip? That's what they're going to have to bring to light. The unfortunate part here is we're fighting, you know, we don't get the privilege of listening to real news like this great station here, but the majority of the networks seeing, seeing, I don't see in CNN, the whole alphabet (laughs) soup, all of it. (laughs) Yeah. All of that are too busy creating the narrative. They were literally, you turn on all those networks and because, you know, we spent two years on that network in the campaign. Let me tell you, it was like a knife fight. They were always putting, he said this, he told them to do this. They're literally creating the narrative, you know, through their fake media, social networks, as well as the, as the cable networks. And it's like they're brainwashing the people. Yeah, well, maybe he did. Kerry, watch this. It's the same thing they did when they tried to create President Trump as being a racist. He wasn't a racist until he put his name on the ballot. But for 40 years, from Bobby Brown videos, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air cameos, to all of these places he's traveled for 40 years, David Letterman, all these places he's been and traveled. Not one person came forward, not one, not the janitor, not the butcher, not the baker, not even the candlestick maker Kerry came forward and said, "Hey." This man is a racist. But yeah, all of a sudden, thing. My point is no, I see what you're saying. It's a, lie. it's
1: a It's It seems to be very political, from what I can see, because I, I spoke to a former intelligence director at the FBI about the technical and legal definition of incitement, and he said, under no circumstance has this legal and technical definition of incitement been met. So this case is something that would not be prosecuted. And I said, this reminds me of the Kavanaugh situation, because there was zero evidence that anything that was brought against Kavanaugh could be admissible in a court of law and that this case would not proceed at all, that it it really at that point became a political situation. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, it has. And let me tell you something from a spiritual standpoint. Let me let me put it to all the viewers. God's not going to bring us this far and leave us. There was a reason why President Trump was put in there by God through Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump. That's why he was put there from 2016. Yeah, we went through some unfortunate situations here in the election process. But let me tell you something about this man. He's built buildings. He's built all types of things, some successful, some not so successful. He knows when he wins. He knows when he loses. And he knows in his heart, he didn't lose this. But here's the great thing about this, all all, all the viewers. He has the ability to go back, regroup and say, well, I know I shouldn't have built the building this way because it has this type of steel, but I'm going to put a better, new and improved steel on this frame. I'm going to build a better building. That's the spirit and that's the gift that Donald J. Trump has. Do not forget that. That is what I am hopeful for. And that's what is part of, quote, the America First agenda. It is the movement. President Trump is the vehicle and the vessel of the movement. We, the people, we, the 75 million and probably more that didn't get counted for the record. We are this great movement, this great nation.
1: All right. Bruce Lavelle, thank you.
2: Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for having me. And stay
1: tuned. We're going to have more on the impeachment later today in the show. In the meantime, Jesse Jane Duff is joining me here on set. Stay tuned.
0: Man, that sunset is gorgeous
1: Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. Jessie Jane Duft served for 20 years on active duty in the U.S. Marine Corps and retired the rank of gunnery sergeant. She also served on the 2020 Trump campaign advisory board Women for Trump and is the co-chair of Veterans for Trump. She joins me this morning. Good morning, Jessie. Good morning. It's so exciting to be here. Good to have you. So let's talk about this new president and what he's already doing with the military. So we just saw a headline that Biden is freezing Trump's withdrawal of the troops from Germany. So President Trump, former President Trump, wanted to take out the 12,000 troops in Germany. Mm-hmm. And the new administration has, quote, comfortably stated to us that we need to conduct a thorough review, cradle to grave in all areas, according to General Todd D. Walters, the head of United States European Command and NATO's Supreme Allied Commander for Europe. He said in a news conference from Belgium. After the review, he said, we'll go back to the drawing board Why is this happening? Because wasn't the argument with President Trump that NATO and Germany and all our allies need to do more under the treaty itself Mm -hmm. to support their own defense? Yes. Germany is obviously a a widely advanced
3: country. It's not a third world country that needs our protections. And all that is required is two percent of their GDP into NATO uh, into the NATO combination of forces that get supported. They couldn't even meet that. I think it's a very fair argument that why would we deploy overseas when a country isn't even interested in supporting its own national security. I think that's a very fair argument. But what's insulting to me is that um, I learned off after coming off of active duty that a lot of these generals become politicians. And essentially, they enjoy the profits that they have in some of these roles that they're enabled. So when a general comes out and says, well, we need to re-review, obviously he doesn't want to contradict the commander in chief, but didn't we already do that? We already reviewed. We already understand what the position is. And Germany understood what the position is. So now we're going to go back and re-review and waste more taxpayer dollars to sustain forces that Germany itself can either sustain or contribute to the NATO agreement that they have been a part of so for me this is just politics as usual the swamp is swampy and just because somebody is a four-star general a three-star general if they're accountable to the president of the united states
1: you cannot expect them to contradict what he is saying well and that's really interesting because everybody the liberals and the democrats would say about trump he doesn't listen to the experts he doesn't listen to the experts he does whatever he wants he he's not the adult in the room there are grown-ups in the room who are always trying to tell him what to do What about these grownups here? Are there grownups, quote unquote, who are trying to tell Biden, hey, Germany should do what's in the treaty and actually pay their two
3: percent? Excellent point. You know, when I hear people say he doesn't listen to the military, that was quite the opposite. Because of President Trump, we were able to build up our forces again. Because of the Obama-Biden administration, the sequestration had decimated our forces. We weren't even capable to fight on two fronts. The Marine Corps and the United States Armies, we were rated as weak because we were incapable of keeping our battalions and our brigades sustained. So now we're shifting over to somebody suggesting that Uh, this is the right thing to do. No, actually, our military was more powerful, more strong. They had even gotten a pay raise that they hadn't even seen in over a decade of the amount that they had gotten uh, the forces. So I'm kind of scratching my head here that it seems that really, let's be honest, it appears that this president wants to reverse anything that the former president did and then re-review it. I find that appalling. And why don't we just keep things moving forward so that the American taxpayer does not have to pay the
1: price? Do you think, what does Putin think about all of this or, or China and, and other foreign adversaries of the United States who see that Europe, oh, hey, Europe isn't so interested in, in being proactive about their own defense anymore because the Americans are going to be there. The Americans will fill the gap.
3: Mm-hmm. I think that Putin's probably not too concerned because he has his own agenda, but he does probably see it as comical that the United States can't get its act together. Like we're moving forward. No, we're not moving forward. It's just one step forward, two steps backwards. It doesn't give us a we're not leading from a position of strength. If they really wanted to re review, then why didn't they just do that quietly and re review? Instead, this was one of the first executive orders one of the first actions coming out of the gates in the first two weeks, I should say. And Americans don't appreciate contradictions. They did not elect somebody to cause a tug of war within the United States military of all the places that we need to stay strong. So this appears to me to be leading by weakness, not leading by strength.
1: Let's turn to the Middle East. So President Biden has ended the US support for Saudi Arabia in Yemen. And he says the war, quote, has to end. He says—he said this during a visit to the State Department. And he said also to underscore our commitment, we're ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. The move is a reversal of the policy of both the Democratic Obama and Republican Trump administrations. What say you about this move? You know, Yemen has been very controversial because it's right
3: off the, uh, right off of Saudi Arabia. We do know that Saudi Arabia has also been uh, sustaining some of those forces. But what bothers me more is that the Houthis that had been very detrimental and terrorists, he his no longer wants to call them terrorists. I, I'm just finding that this man is uh, trying to sp- have it both ways. Yemen is very controversial because you now have fighting fractions that probably never were going to resolve their battles. And maybe this is one effort that is right on time. Because when you have two previous administrations supporting something that has not ended, let's be reasonable here. Maybe it's the right time to do this. Because so you agree with this? I don't say that I agree because I'd have to really see what the outcome is going to be. I'd have to look at what progress was made under President Trump. But if there was no progress, if we did not, maybe President Trump was being encouraged to sustain it, as we all know. But if you don't see any progress, you have to admit Endless wars is not what the United States forces, let alone the American taxpayers, should be sustaining. It is a very controversial issue because of our alliance with Saudi Arabia, and we have been trying to build that up. So hopefully this won't take us backwards with Saudi Arabia, because apparently this confrontation is right off their shores and it has caused a lot of egregious attacks against the Saudis. However... We have to be smart with our money. We have not spent it wisely overseas, and maybe
1: it's time. So I will take. I will. I will, I will proceed with caution. Let's just say. Sure. Well, and and you mentioned the Houthis. The Houthis have been getting proxy funding from the Iranians. Mm -hmm. Wasn't this part of why President Trump was pushing back against uh, what was happening in Yemen? Because he wanted to push back against Iran. Mm -hmm. So by Biden doing this, do you think this will actually embolden the Iranians? See, and that's the area that becomes controversial, is that we know that he has
3: uh, an alliance with Iran based upon the previous deals that the Obama-Biden administration had made. So you have to suggest now, is this now a way of enabling Iran, as you suggest, the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. However, again, when the United States starts getting involved in foreign entanglements, how often do we succeed? And if we cannot succeed, then why are we supporting it? That's where it
1: gets a little squishy. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what's what's happening at the Defense Department. So the Secretary of Defense, Austin, he has a uh, new training policy, basically. So we at Just the News, our colleague Susan Katz-Keating, she f- spoke with several military personnel who said they question whether the mandatory events will focus on politically expedient discussions singling out expansively defined right-wing extre- extremism while neglecting violent extremism rooted in other political or religious ideologies. So this is a—basically, a, a basically it's a, a sit-down intervention moment where they are planning to tell all of, of, all of the troops— hey, uh, you need to stop uh, being a right-wing extremist, basically, and they're not going to talk about any other form of extremism.
3: So without having the plan rolled out, it's hard to speculate, but I would say that I find it very offensive because when I was on active duty, we were very aggressive about addressing equal opportunity to ensure there wasn't sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, also racial discrimination. And the way the general has uh, put this out It gives the impression to me that he's assuming that there are a bunch of white extremists roaming around in the military. And I think he's going to get some pushback because the troops really do well
1: with integration and always have. Right. Right. You're right. It's one of the the, the, it was a leading group with racial integration in this country. All right. We'll be right back. Jesse's joining us later in the show. Stay tuned. Hey there, welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're with us. Well, President Biden has wasted no time in moving on climate change issues and energy issues from canceling the Keystone Pipeline to cutting lots of jobs in moving—well, uh, fossil fuel jobs, I should say, in his bid to try to get more, quote-unquote, green jobs. What about all of this? What does it all mean? Mark Morano, who is executive editor and chief correspondent for Climatedepot.com, joins me to break this down. Good morning, Mark.
4: Good morning, Kerry. Happy to be here.
1: So let's talk about what we know so far. What have been the biggest actions that you see from the Biden administration on energy?
4: Well, one of the first things he did was cancel the Keystone Pipeline, which was at least 10,000 plus immediate jobs. And then a lot of other related jobs, especially going in the future, alienating his Democratic Party base. Uh, One of the unions, Labor is International uh, Union layuna actually said he sold out American workers to, quote, environmental extremists, unquote. He's also banned oil and gas leases, fracking on federal lands, which is going to have big impacts on the economies and job production out West in particular. Uh, and he's generally, his generally with his actions, he's waging a war of a thousand cuts on fracking in general, which has been one of the greatest American energy success stories in our history, and I'll repeat that, in our history. Because under President Trump in 2019, for the first time since Harry S. Truman was president, the United States had more energy exports than imports. We're the largest producer of oil and gas. This is the greatest uh, policies we could ever have. And Joe Biden's administration is set dead aim to all of those accomplishments and is gonna go after American energy dominance.
1: All right, let's talk about an article that you wrote in Climate Depot. You make the case that you say that Biden's energy restricting climate policies are a national security threat, not climate change. You say that having abundant domestic energy is one of the hallmarks protecting US national security interests, and that restricting domestic energy is one of the biggest national security threats, not climate change. You say that one of the greatest threats to US national security is the reliance on foreign sources of energy. This is a very interesting argument because People like to attack former President Trump. They attack uh, Mitch McConnell. They call him Moscow Mitch and say that, the, oh, these Republican leaders are in the back pocket of the Russians. But the Russians are the ones who benefit when the United States is, is more reliant on foreign oil, right? It, correct me. Is, is it, it's Russia and the Middle East. If we're restricting the production here, does this mean that these players are going to be growing?
4: Yeah, it can only mean that. And why do I say that? If you listen to Joe Biden, John Kerry, AOC, with solar and wind, are they're, they're cheaper. 4% of total U.S. energy comes from solar and wind combined. Not solar, not wind, but solar and wind combined. They want to turn that 4% of energy into the 80-plus percent we get from fossil fuels, uh, somehow magically using magic physics. I don't know, and I don't know what their timeline is. But what they've done here... John Kerry has come out, and he always says, we're here for following the science, in quotes. And what he said is that there's a national security risk, climate change is important. They've even got a few retired generals who are going around Capitol Hill parroting these lines that that this is a great threat of war, when in reality, colder times have meant more wars. There's been studies, strategic international studies, peer-reviewed studies, all showing that peaceful times have come during climate optimums or times of warming. So they have the science exactly backwards, the policies exactly backwards, because the more energy we don't produce, and the, as Biden is slowly ratcheting down American energy, not even slowly, it's about the, the rapid, most rapid thing his entire administration has done is go after American energy, the more we're gonna rely on Venezuela, the Middle East, Russia, just as you said. But even more importantly, as we mandate solar, wind, electric cars, the biden administration is doing we're going to be relying on rare earth minerals controlled almost exclusively by china and russia many of the mines in africa with horrible human rights abuses even amnesty international talking about child labor so we're giving well, Mark, up that's very interesting
1: problems. what what are those rare earth minerals
4: uh, things like uh, cobalt and other things that are needed for uh, electric cars for the batteries for wind solar panels and these rare earth minerals are literally the domain of China where they don't have the same environmental standards That's as we do. That's very
1: interesting. So cobalt and what else? Uh,
4: cobalt, nickel, metal, other heavy metals uh, that come from, the, that, come, that are absolutely essential. And this, things even for catalytic converters. But we've shut down all US mining. And what we've done with that, and not we haven't shut it all down, but they're continuing to shut down US mining. And all that means is the mining overseas is going to increase. Same thing comes with if we reduce our energy. All it means is more energy is going to be produced in areas that don't have our same environmental standards. We're not actually reducing global emissions by doing that. All we're doing is harming America and our national security.
1: Wow, that's very interesting. So what will that mean if we're more dependent on these places like China and sub-Saharan Africa or places that are very unstable or dangerous? What does that mean for the American consumer? consumer and are we going to have to be basically relying? Uh, what guarantees do we have that they're not using slave labor?
4: Well, we don't have any. I mean, in China, in the, in the case in the Congo, where the, you know, I think it's 80 or 90 percent of the world's cobalt comes from, there, there, there are horrible abuses alleged by the Chinese government there. Uh, in terms of all sorts of labor and environmental practices, we don't have those standards. And what we're going to do is we're going to be relying on, of course, China, which you know, we're seeing how now with the World Health Organization and others, China knows how to buy itself good PR and they know how to prevent any investigation. So I don't know that we'll ever actually know the full extent of that. But what we do know is, as Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the climate activist, has said, if you look at American history, all of our wars in one way or another related to fights for energy, oil, coal, gas. And if he's correct on that, and he might be, why would we then want to reduce American energy, which we are now the most dominant we've ever been since Harry S. Truman was president in 1952. Why would we want to then depower our energy and rely on Russia, Middle East, China for these rare earth minerals and other sources of energy and their mining? So, This is absolutely bizarro world, as you see in the Superman comics. I mean, they they literally take reality, they turn it on its head, and now they're going after American workers uh, and they're saying it's for our own good. And the big point on that is if you actually are cutting American jobs with fossil fuels and you're talking about green jobs or solar wind, where are they? They're not replacing them immediately. People are going to be losing jobs immediately in the next few months, the next year, and there are no green jobs to replace it. And the only green jobs that are replacing it are federal subsidies as well, because solar and wind may be able to produce jobs, some jobs, but they don't produce the energy per job. In other words, fossil fuel worker produces vast amounts of energy, whereas a fossil fuel worker, uh, a solar or wind worker produces virtually no energy per worker. So it's a bad investment and it can so far can only survive on Government subsidies. Well, and, 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 and at some members. point,
1: as Margaret Thatcher likes to say, like to say, you run out of spending other people's money when you're doing these sort of subsidies. One last topic. You mentioned emissions. Yeah. I want to get your take on this because under President Trump's leadership, the United States led the entire world in reducing yeah. CO2 emissions in 2019. This was the largest absolute decline by any country over that period. 20 seconds. How did we do this?
4: We did it through a technological revolution, chiefly through fracking of natural gas. And it's sad because places like Pennsylvania have been the world leader in this in the fracking revolution, but their governor, a blue state governor, is now trying to ratchet down their emissions. So we're gonna say goodbye to the American energy revolution through democratic governors and the Biden administration who are anti-energy and have a fantasy about solar and wind immediately replacing 80% of our energy. So it's sad.
1: Well, and we saw in Germany, they tried to do all this green stuff and their emissions actually didn't decline at all. Anyway, Mark Morano, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Carrie. I appreciate it.
1: And stay with us. We've got more on the impeachment trial, the second impeachment trial of former President Trump with Jesse Jane Duff. Stay tuned.
0: OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Hey, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're with us. We always love getting viewer feedback. Hit me up at Carrie Sheffield on Twitter. I always put a question of the day. My question yesterday was, what will happen with the Trump impeachment trial? And Congressman Burgess Owens joined me. I got some—lots of responses. Some of them we can't share because this is a family network. But Thomas One says, should not even happen. He cannot be charged, no longer in office. Also, it was a protest that evolved to a riot. Not much security. Some walked right in. It was not an insurrection. No weapons except hats and flags and one fire extinguisher. There were other weapons, just to be clear. And sadly, there were five people who ended up killing and uh, being killed in this uh, event. But there is a lot of legal evidence to support what he's saying here as far as the legal definition of insurrection. Michael Lambros, he says— Well, we all know that Moscow, Mitch, and the rest of the GOP will let their guru, Donald Trump, off the hook. And the same on the House side, including Burgess Owens. Well, the House side already voted, so that's not relevant. And the foregone conclusion here, we already know that 45 Republicans voted last week with Senator Rand Paul to say that this is an unconstitutional trial. So in some respects, Michael's right in that way, that it does appear that this is a futile event by the Democrats, uh, at least legally. Dorothy Lay says, "'Read the Constitution. For instance, bias or prejudice, either inherent in the structure of the trial system or as imposed by external events, will deny one's right to a fair trial. I find nothing fair in the attentions of this trial of President Trump.'" And Dorothy, yes, it is true that, legally, it appears that Trump has not met the threshold of what it means to be uh, inciting incitement, uh, inciting a riot, inciting violence through his his language. And so, this is a very political event here. Uh, Jim Rydell says of my guest yesterday, Congressman Burgess Owens is awesome, and we need more like him. I happen to agree with you, Jim Rydell. Well, I put my question up for today uh, at Carrie Sheffield, and if you have a good response, we'll put it up here on the show. And joining me here in the meantime, again, is Jessie Jane Duff. She's been co-chair of veterans for Trump and women for Trump. She's a retired U.S. Marine Corps uh, to the rank of gunnery sergeant. Um, Good morning, Jesse. Welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me back. So let's talk about the Trump defense here. So one of the things that we know that the Trump team is going to be doing is playing a montage of Democrats and some of the things that they have done and said One is supposed to be a tweet here from Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House herself. She said, our election was hijacked. There is no question Congress has a duty to hashtag protect our democracy and hashtag follow the facts. You note the day here that this was in 2017. This Mm -hmm. was after President Trump won election Mm -hmm. and now the shoe is on the other foot and somehow President Trump was not allowed to say very similar language to Speaker Pelosi. Uh, Exactly. So
3: the hypocrisy is actually to President Trump's advantage. Uh, Many on the Trump team are excited that he's actually going to be able to embarrass uh, the Senate. He's going to be able to embarrass the congressional leaders who voted for this because their words and actions have directly uh, suggested that what they're trying to deflect and say that he has done. We know that the evidence shows that he did not create this did not design this, that the Capitol uh, riots were essentially already pre-planned, and we know that he was still speaking uh, in his presentation. As he said, go forward peacefully. Uh, Their people were already at those doors. Um, Although there were five people that had died, they weren't killed because of the riot. There was one person who was actually shot and killed, an unarmed person. And we have yet to hear if anybody's been held accountable for that. She was not armed. She was not making a threat that could have caused somebody to lose their life. So that is a question that has yet become unanswered. To suggest that President Trump was uh, creating this is a hypocrisy. I also must add. For four years, they wanted to uh, get rid of this president. They wanted him out of the way. And it's
1: quite obvious now he is living rent-free in their heads. (laughs) Uh, Another argument that the Trump team is going to make is about Stacey Abrams. So she ran for governor in Georgia. She lost, and she refused to concede. Even to this day, she refuses to concede that she lost. She says that the Georgia governor race was rigged. She said the game is rigged. And this is a lot of other people who have endorsed Abrams' claim that the governor Kemp stole the election. Prominent Democrats, everyone from Hillary Clinton to former Attorney General Eric Holder, Senators Kamala Harris at the time, Senator, now Vice President, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, they've endorsed Abrams' claims here. So that's a lot of people on the Democratic side, very senior, who are backing what happened with Stacey Abrams. Why was it okay here, but not in the case of Trump?
3: Well, what I hear is that we can all agree that we have to have election reform. So why is it we want election reform when our guy loses, but not when the other guy wins? It just is hypocrisy. We need election reform. Both sides should be able to agree upon that using their own words. So why aren't we having voter ID? Why aren't we having a signature verification? Why aren't we ensuring that people who are dead are not voting? There's so many things. Why aren't we auditing the voter rolls to ensure that people who don't even live in the state aren't voting, which we saw in Nevada? There is massive election reform to be done. And the Democrats have screamed for this until they win. So let's do it game on. I'm all for it. And I see this hypocrisy as really grating the Americans' nerves. Here's what the Democrats are failing to do. They're going so hard after President Trump. They're failing to address COVID relief. They're failing to address American jobs. They're dismantling American jobs, but yet have not presented any new jobs for all the people that have lost jobs. So Americans are sitting back watching this three ring circus, which is an insult to circus members because they actually do a justifiable performance. (laughs) But they're doing this chaotic, performance that Americans want to say, what about me? We elected you to accomplish something and we're not seeing it.
1: Yeah. Well, Maxine Waters, it's another example they want to bring up. She said if you see anybody from that cabinet, the Trump cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gas station, you get out and create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome anymore. She is saying that she was not endorsing violence. but This is going to be another example that they're going to bring up in court. We got to take a break here real fast. Jesse Jane Duff, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you for inviting me. We'll be right back. Hey, good morning, welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and joining me is Ben Berquam. He's a correspondent for Real America's Voice and he is live from outside the U.S. Capitol. Good morning, Ben.
5: Good morning, Carrie.
1: So I see you've got all that barbed wire behind you. What is going on?
5: Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, the same people that say we can't have walls on our southern border that say walls are racist and that President Trump was a fascist and all of this, they seem just fine with what you see behind me, a 10-foot barrier with razor wire on top. We've got National Guard troops from all over the country, stationed here uh, 24-7. And uh, I don't know what threat this is trying to prevent the American people from, or if it's trying to prevent the American people just from accessing We the People's House. But uh, today, we all know the impeachment hearing, the second impeachment hearing, unprecedented. First time a citizen, a uh, uh, former president, has been impeached uh, starts at noon, and uh, we will be following that. It's really kind of eerie out here, though, I'll be honest. There's... Nobody here, and I think that's partly what this cage, fence, wall, whatever you want to call it, is designed to do, intimidate people and try to get them from not coming out. I haven't seen any Trump supporters or opposition of of any kind so far.
1: Now, there was an estimate from the Biden administration yesterday that the cost of deploying these National Guard troops to the U.S. taxpayers through mid-March, they're going to be there through mid-March, is $500 million. Think how much (laughs) this could benefit American families.
5: No, it is. It's, I mean, you think about what, what we're doing right now, and your last guess was right on the money. While people are still dying across America, not from COVID, but from the lockdowns, from the shutdowns, from their businesses being destroyed, uh, in California, we wasted billions of dollars, sent out money that was supposed to go to unemployment unemployed people because of the government, sent it to Nigerian and Russian hackers, and now the, the, the federal government is going to spend hundreds of millions of more dollars on What? I mean, that, that is what the American people, I, I've interviewed people all over the country, and they're watching this saying, what is going on? It is clearly political. It is clearly simply an attack by the AOCs of the party to say, we told you to our base that we would go after him when we got a chance, and that is what we're doing. But I think to the average American, it is an utter, utter, complete waste of time.
1: And you've been roving around. Uh, you were over by the U.S. Supreme Court earlier, too. Is it, what's, it, what's it like over there?
5: It's, it's, uh, it's eerie. Eerie is probably the best word to describe it. You go around, you can't actually get to the front of the Supreme Court. So you think about justice in America. We think of America uh, and Lady Liberty and, and what this nation was founded on. The, the peoples, you know, this is the, we the people are the sovereigns of our government. And all of a sudden, we have this massive 10-foot-high barrier that stretches for blocks and blocks and blocks around our most important houses of government. The White House has the same thing. It, it feels very much like we are losing we the people as the sovereigns and it is they the government that are dictating to us. And it's, it's just it's odd. I've never I've, it's, I've never had an opportunity where you cannot go to the front of the Supreme Court and look at it and, and be inspired by the columns. And, you know, you think about what this nation has meant to so many people around the world and to the people of this nation. It's, it's a sad day in America.
1: Well, speaking of Supreme Court, we just had a headline at Just the News looking at words from Senator Chuck Schumer. So, he was standing in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, and Rand Paul, Senator from Kentucky, says that we ought to impeach Schumer for his, quote, violent rhetoric outside the Supreme Court last year. In front of a crowd of supporters outside the Supreme Court in March 2020, Schumer warned Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hits you if you go forward with these awful decisions. So Rand Paul saying that Schumer was trying to intimidate the judicial branch.
5: Well, and if we take the Democrats at their words, uh, you know, they take every word as literal. So when a conservative says fight for our country, well, they say that's insurrection. Well, if he says we're going to hit the Supreme Court justices, then we have to take him at his word. That's violence. I mean, if we if we're going to walk down this path that the Democrats want to walk down, that is a scary proposition for America. There will be no more freedom of speech. You'll have to watch every single word you say. But what cl- is clear to me and to most Americans is this this uh, standard only applies to the to conservatives. It doesn't apply to Democrats. I mean, we've, we've seen the montage. We've seen Maxine Waters and we've seen the Democrats calling for violence for the last four years. We've seen the obstruction. We've seen the, the, the fake Russia coup attempt against President Trump and all of these things that they did. BLM and Antifa being celebrated for burning down cities across America, and yet they have the nerve to say that President Trump incited violence by saying, stand up against election fraud. It's just, it, hypocritical is not a, uh, you know, it's, it's not a big enough word to describe what the Democrats have become in America.
1: Well, and even our vice president, when she was a senator, reportedly bailing out some of these violent members in the Black Lives yes. Matter riots that turned, in some cases, very violent, sadly, Uh, in St. Louis, for example. David Dorn, his family, his survivors, uh, were at the White House with President Trump on July 4th uh, to commemorate him. And it was a very tragic day. You mentioned Maxine Waters. We have her actual words. We'll put them up on screen again She said, if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gas station, you get out and create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome anywhere. So again, to your point, she used the words push back. Is she saying physically to push back?
5: Well, clearly, clearly, because everything is literal. Like I said, you have to hold them at the same standard. And if she's gonna say that uh, when anybody says fight back for America, that means physically fight. If she says push, that must mean physically push. The the, you know, the, the worst part about that was she said that in the midst of a time where Antifa was attacking people across America. And Antifa, it's not an idea. It is a group of violent terrorist thugs. That, that is what the Democrats stood for.
1: All right, Ben Berkwan, thanks for that report there from the Capitol there with your barbed wire behind you in the United States of America. We'll see you back here in the program tomorrow. And we'll be right back, more on what's happening with the Biden administration and race.
0: Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Hey there, welcome back here to Justin News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. And just reading here about this latest from the Biden administration on race, I want to put this up here. It's from the Wall Street Journal. It's this question of equity for Asian Americans in practice. President Biden last week singled out Asian Americans as he issued executive orders devoting to, quote, advancing racial equity. They include an order banning banning federal use of terms such as Wuhan virus and another requiring the Justice Department to better track hate crimes against Asian Americans. In pushing these measures, Mr. Biden prefers to speak of promoting equity rather than equal treatment." Now, the problem with this is that he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, because what this administration has also done, on the flip side, is to hurt Asian American students. Now, Asian American students have really been hit hard when it comes to college admissions. They are hit hard. Uh, very often, the, under the Trump administration, there was a DOJ case to brought being brought against Ivy League schools to say, hey, you guys are discriminating against Asian Americans, and the Biden administration is dropping that case. And the question of racial equality versus equity, it seems that Biden only wants to pick and choose and cherry pick when you have equality, because if everything was equal, these Asian students, based on their grades and their test scores alone, would have more representation on these college campuses. And yet, Because of affirmative action, these Asian American students, based on all the evidence and the reports from these Asian students, they're being discriminated against. And more seats are going to black and Latino students in the name of quotas rather than in the name of merit. And many of these Asian students are, you know, students of uh, children of immigrants. This is all new for them. And they're being discriminated in this country. All right. Stay tuned. Warman's next.